0: Oh, Mister Gilling, are you there? Stay seated. I don't know if you can see him. How are you comfortable?
1: How are you, beautiful ones? <laughs> uh, hey, buddy. Hey. Thank you uh, for the the beautiful sharing of creativity, and for truth demonstrated with paint and truth demonstrated in hugs and truth demonstrated in word and just the stunning beauty of being with you. I um I consider it a, a real great privilege and a great honor to call you brothers and sisters, friends, and to continue growing in this oneness and Him together. Um I was sitting with the Lord um yesterday thinking about this moment and I said to him it's the final session how do you want to wrap it up and I I love how the Lord can correct uh, so beautifully and so quickly and sometimes you ask a question within like a construct or a framework and the voice of the Lord comes and you know it's the voice of the Lord because it completely shatters the construct that you ask the question from within, but it doesn't leave you feeling judged or it doesn't leave you feeling lacking or it doesn't leave you feeling bad or it doesn't leave you feeling like you missed the boat or you're a bad kid. And I said to him, "Uh, it's the final session. How do you want to wrap it up? And he just immediately responded, it's not a final session. It's a continuous invitation. And I want to encourage you that this journey of of becoming one You know, we have this instinct to almost kind of treat the kingdom as a tick-the-box exercise, to um, try and define it and try and say what it looks like because we see it as this linear progression and we start here and we're trying to get to here and we're trying to sort of find our way and we think that there's this this point that we have to tick off and this point that we have to tick off and this point that we have to tick off and this point that we have to tick off. And so we see it as this linear progression and and the more that the lord carries me and therefore the fruit of that is that i walk with him the more that happens you start to realize that the kingdom's not linear it's it's actually eternal it's like this eternal symbol that just goes on and on and on and on and on and how you know, we want it to be like learn love, tick the box, learn peace, tick the box, learn joy, tick the box. And actually it's round and you're learning love and you're learning love and you're learning love and you're, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. I've learned love. And then you get back round, and you're like, oh, we're learning love. We're learning love. We're learning love. We're learning love. All the while somebody else, you're here going this way and somebody else is here going this way. And it would seem that you're in opposing directions, but because you're being carried through an eternal reality, it's all in Christ and you can celebrate the headship of the the life of Christ in one another, even though you're learning different things. And there's these beautiful crossover connect points where you get to see the headship of the Lord and the life of another, and you don't have to conform them to the direction that you are walking and, and sometimes what happens is as you walk this way he slows you down and he speeds this person up and then you have this phenomenal joy where you're walking this eternal invitation of oneness together and then he speeds you up and he pauses the other person and and on and on and on and on it goes and I want to just encourage you that this thing of oneness it's it's not a case of oh we had a conference and there were some beautiful paintings painted, and there was some beautiful music played, and there was some there was some substance of the word spoken. And so we take this off. I want to encourage you to continue to yield to Him and continue to let Him build uh, this oneness. I um I want to just pick up. I feel to pick up on something that Greg said this morning. Um, I've only really got one thought uh, that I feel like the Lord wants to sort of unpack this evening. Um, Greg said, he was talking about everything being one, but there being all these distinct parts. And he was talking about friendship with God and sonship. And he was talking about the bride. And he was talking about all these different expressions of of the way we relate to God. And then he said, what's the first one? What's the first place? What's the first place way that we relate to the Lord, that we come into this kingdom? And he answered it and he, he used the word bond servant. Or bond slave, I can't remember which it was one of the two. And the the New Testament writers, they um to the mind of man, they seem to be a little bit confused <laughs> because they preach the message of sonship. These letters, they they articulate the message of sonship. And they articulate the message of a betrothed bride. And they articulate the message of friendship with the Spirit. And yet, almost all of them, Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, and John, almost all of them introduce themselves as Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. So which is it? Is it sonship or is it slavery? Now, your your Bible might say a servant of Christ Jesus, your Bible might say a bond servant. Your Bible might say a slave. But if you just study it out just a little bit, and and when I say that, um, do you know how the Spirit uses this 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 beautiful thing of Scripture? It's not a case of trawling it, trying to have framework of truth revealed by it. What happens is that the Spirit, like like even just stop and consider for a second that. Scripture in the hands of believers has is, is only been normal for the last, what, hundred and something years. Before that, you didn't, like, nobody had this. There was no printing press. There was very, very few copies. It was only the religious institution or the very, very wealthy that had a copy of Scripture. And And so it's not a case of trawling to try and understand with the mind but what happens is the spirit starts to reveal something within you and then you find scripture articulating what you already know to be true does that make sense beautiful and the um your bible might say servant but but as i started to have this reality of this word slave of Christ revealed within me, if if that starts to be real to you and you, you look for scripture, you'll actually find the Greek word doulos undisputably means slave. A servant is paid to complete a task and a servant would never say, my life is not my own, I was bought with a price. A slave would. And there's all these I want you to consider this statement. I would love it if you would take away and you would test this. And I don't mean test it by your intelligence. I mean test it in communion. Um, If you're taking notes, you you can write this down. You might want to throw it in your phone. With the father, relate as a child. With Christ, relate as a betrothed bride. With the spirit, relate as a friend. And obey all as a slave. With the father, relate as a child. With the son, relate as a betrothed bride. With the spirit, relate as a friend, but obey all as a slave. And I would love you to take that away. Not, a, not an enforced slavery. Jesus comes and he, he has so much humility. This king of all who didn't consider equality with God to be grasped, but lowered himself and took on the form of a what? slave. For we are ourselves to have that same attitude as Christ Jesus. He comes and he comes to us and he says, I am a king, but I will not enforce my sovereignty over you. Do you want to be a slave by choice? And when the, when the spirit started to, to reveal this within me, um, there was a little bit of a fence that wanted to rise up within me because I'd sung for so long, like, I am a friend of God. It just sounds better, you know. It's got a ring to it. That Like friendship with God sounds so much better than slavery with God. And then you you look at John 15 and Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends, but you are my friends if you do what I command. <laughs> That's a unique kind of friendship. Have you ever said to a friend, I'll be your friend, but you've got to do what I command? (laughs) Has anyone ever said that to you? Hey, sure, like, yeah, yeah, be my friend. I mean, imagine if it's like social media and it's like send friend request, but the condition of acceptance is like, I'll do what you command. It's a very unique kind of friendship. It's not one that we experience with anyone else. He says, yes, I call you friends, but you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. And and we have these, these ways of trying to relate to God, that the thing about being a slave is that it leaves no room for self. It leaves, like if, if you think you're a friend of God, and you don't understand that the friendship requires following his commands, if you think you're a friend of God, then in friendship, what I want matters. Like Greg and I are friends, right? And and in the context of the construct of friendship in the world, what I think and what I want matters and what Greg thinks and what Greg wants matters. So if we're gonna to go to a movie, I'm gonna be like, bro, what movie do you wanna see? I'm not gonna be like, hey, Greg, uh, we're gonna to go to this movie and you're, you're, I'm commanding it and you're my friend if you come see it. Um, <laughs> uh, Greg did that to me once and we ended up in what was that movie was it Twilight <laughs> seriously he was like you're my friend if you come if you do what I command and he took me to a movie and we walked into the movie theatre and it was like these two dudes in their, in their 30s and 40s let oh, me context 30s, I did not know what the movie no, 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 was there about. is no there is no context I was in my 30s, he was in his 40s and the room was completely filled with teenage girls and we walked in and it was just like, oh, this is awkward. I mean, Winston would have been turning around and walking back out again, but but we stayed and yeah, I don't remember the movie. However, friendship makes room for equal, equal equal desires. Does that make sense? But slavery does not. And And we sing these songs like, I am a friend of God. Am I? Yeah. But it seems far less catchy to sing, I am a slave of God. I am a slave of God. I am a slave of God. And because, he call, because I'm a slave of God, he calls me friend. That doesn't seem to have the same appeal. It doesn't seem to be so welcoming. And yet, slavery to Christ is the most, comforting reality that you can experience. Yeah. Like imagine imagine actually being a slave to love. This is what Paul is saying when he says, For love controls us. Like imagine being a slave to love because when you're a slave to love, the power is not in the slave to remain, but the power is in the master over the slave and the slave is actually held in the circumstance, not by the intent of the slave, but the power of the master. Now we've only had that modeled in the flesh in a negative sense. And so we instinctively have this recoil to slavery, but Paul doesn't say, hey, if you're a slave, get out of it. He doesn't say like, hey, just fight against it and we, guys, we need to abolish slavery because he had this revealed perspective that if you're in slavery to another person, if I free you from the circumstance, you'll just end up in slavery to self, and both of those two things are the counterfeits of slavery to Christ. Very good. And so what the Lord wants to do, because here's the thing. Imagine if when your best friend hurt you, you knew what it was to say, I'm a slave to love. It's not that I choose love, but love has chosen me. Imagine if you were in circumstances that were lacking peace and you weren't through your own, the the, the fervency of your servanthood towards Christ, you weren't trying to hold on to peace. Imagine if you actually knew what it was to, to hear, return to you a fortress, you prisoners of hope. Like imagine being a prisoner of hope. Imagine if you were in circumstances that were completely hopeless, but it was you were completely unable to leave the substance of hope because the Master of Hope had power and authority over you. It wasn't about your fervency in trying to hold on to hope. I mean, this is what it is to be in Christ. Excuse the primacy of the uh, the um, example, but I don't have a lot of props. Um, You're the banana. Christ is the glass. You're in Christ. Christ goes this way, you're going that way. (laughs) Christ goes that way, you're going that way. Christ stops, you're stopping. Christ tilts, you're tilting. By some miracle, if Christ turns you upside down because the power it is contained within Christ to hold on to you, not you hold on to him first. When life turns upside down and you have no idea what Christ is doing, you're still in Christ. And you actually can't choose to write yourself even if you wanted to. That's what it means to be yoked to Christ. Like literally picture yourself right now with a yoke. Like how does a cow escape a yoke? They can't, only by like extreme rebellion. And we go, oh my goodness, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's easy and it's light. And and we forget that it's talking about this reality where the master has come and has taken such authority over me that I am a prisoner of love. I am completely unable to escape peace. And it's offensive to us because we don't want the foundation of those things to be about Christ's commitment to the Father. We want the foundation of those things to be about our commitment to the Father and not knowing Christ's righteousness, we seek to establish our own. But until the foundation of all things in the kingdom are about Christ's response to the Father, held in His power and not our own, we will remain condemned to the experience of our own commitment. Like raise your hand if your commitment disappoints you. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> my commitment to Christ disappoints me all the time. One minute I'm led into the wilderness and I'm being raised in skins and, and eating wild honey and I'm preparing the way for Christ and and I'm preaching this message and I've been filled with the spirit through birth and 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 then circumstances shift and I find myself in prison and I send word to Jesus saying like, are you the one? Or one moment I'm saying to Jesus like, I'll never leave you. Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I'll, I'll never leave you. And then Jesus goes to a place of sacrifice that my commitment cannot endure. And he does it specifically and intentionally because he doesn't want me to live condemned to the experience of our own lacking commitment where we're, we're reckoned with the nature of salvation, but we experience the nature of self and we actually forego the realization of what it means to be saved, healed, and delivered. And there's this, as as I've considered the gospel that I heard, like have you ever heard the question um, – do you want to invite Jesus into your life? Who feels like they responded to that question? Like, is is that a common question, do you think? I can't actually hear you. So if you think, do you want to invite Jesus into your life is a common question, just, just throw your hand up for me. Yeah. There's a problem with the question. Jesus never asked it. Now, I know that it's asked with really good intent, but what it paints a picture of is this Jesus who comes and he waits at the doorway to my life and I invite him into my life where the power and the authority and the rights remain with me. And Jesus never said it. Jesus never came and said, will you invite me into your life? He said far more awkward things. He said, unless you hate your life in this world, you have no place in me. more things. <laughs> He says things like, unless you give up all your possessions, like I'm not coming into your life to like give you the world. I'm not coming into your life to serve your existence within it. I have crossed every boundary and I have come face to face, but I do it to say, do you want to lose all that is lacking, all that is lacking and come into the one who is fullness?' But the power for that journey cannot be your own commitment. And for too many of us, salvation, our perspective of salvation is the fruit of calling him saviour. Like, have you ever cried out and been like, be my saviour? And he's like, I want to be your Lord. Romans doesn't say if you confess with your mouth that he saves you, you will be saved. It says if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. That word Lord literally means the possessor of an item with all rights to preserve or dispose as the possessor sees fit. So Jesus comes and says, will you confess me as Lord? Will you literally have this? And this is why narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it, because it seems so unthinkable that slavery could open to the fullness of the kingdom of sonship, betrothal as a bride and friendship. It seems so offensive to me that if I actually yield as a slave, that he would hold on to me and wrought those realities within me, I want to enter through those realities, not slavery to Christ. And yet he says, Hey, salvation is the fruit of calling me Lord. And so he's so kind, he won't he won't do it to you without like he won't do it to me without my permission. And our surrender is critically important but it's only the doorway of slavery to Christ. And I don't I don't know if you've I don't know if you've experienced what it's like to enter a difficult situation and be completely unable to escape love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control and goodness. Why? Because you're not trying to serve those things. Those things are master over you. It's not about your capacity to pursue those things. It's about the capacity of a loving Lord to grab a hold of you with those things and take you to places you do not want to go and establish that reality within you. And this to me is the stunning, 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 stunning invitation. Like slavery is such good news. With with redeemed eyes and redeemed sight, In Revelation, slavery is the best news possible. You get to be a slave to perfect kindness. You get to be a slave to perfect hope. I mean, Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond approach, here's the if. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that. Like there's all this promise. If indeed I continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and I don't want that if to rest on the fervency of my following. I don't want that if to rest on my servanthood of Christ. I want it to rest on His mastery over me. I want it to rest not on me choosing Him, but Him choosing me. I want it to rest not on me going after Him, but the fact that that when He goes to a place like Peter, where I can't go, where I can't go to. He comes and he finds me because he is a faithful master and he will come and seize the one who ran away because he didn't know how to operate within what the master was doing in the moment. I want my faith to rest on that. And you might go, how does this connect with becoming one? You might sort of ask the question, how does this this narrow road of slavery to Christ connect with becoming one? Spiritual oneship is simply the fruit of singular headship. I am one with anybody who is a slave to Christ. And because they are a slave to Christ, they know what it is to relate as a son. They know what it is to relate as a betrothed bride. They know what it is to relate as a child. But like these writers of these letters, they don't boast in those positions. They always point to the entry of the narrow gate. Like people have said to me like, Johnny, just chill out. Like this message of slavery is, is, it's too depressing. Like talk about sonship. It sounds too hard. Talk about friendship. But the problem with that is that when we talk about sonship, friendship or betrothal outside the narrow gate of slavery, is that we actually provide an opportunity for someone to try and bypass the gate and climb over the fence and go in an illegal way to try and lay a hold of sonship, betrothal and friendship without coming through the door to the sheepfold. And I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever wanna say, hey, oneness is about our ability to all be friends of God. It's not. I mean, I can't even be a good consistent, like 100% of the time friend to my wife. How the heck do I think I can be a consistent friend to God? And I believe that He is revealing that we are a dismembered body because too many of us are suffering the headship of self and others because we have not said yes to the gospel message, which is, will you will you say yes to Christ as Lord? And I want to encourage and exhort you that slavery to Christ is incomparable compared to the freedom of self. Slavery to Christ is the gateway to. All beauty. Freedom is the fruit of a posture of slavery. And Jesus modeled it. I mean, what did he say? I cannot do anything of my own initiative, but only what I see the Father doing. I cannot speak a word unless I hear the Father speak it. What he was saying is, I have not considered equality with God to be grasped. See, too many of us are like, yeah, I'm seated in heavenly realms with Christ. That's fantastic. We are. But what does scripture say? Yes, you're seated in heavenly realms with Christ, but we should be like Christ who did not consider that equality to be grasped and lowered himself and took on the form of a slave, a slave to the point of death. We should be like that. And this is where the fullness of the gospel is actually contained. And I don't really have anything else to offer you (laughs) other than to say, do you want to choose slavery? Do you want to let love rule over you? Do you want to let perfect peace hold you in the storm? Do you want to know what it is to be of the spirit where you don't don't even know where you're coming from or where you're going, but you are literally blown because you are a slave to the power of the wind. But you don't feel like a slave. You feel like a friend, a son, and a betrothed bride you sit going, how are you so good? How are you so kind that you would take me to the place that I cannot get to by myself, that you would carry me to a reality that I am completely unable to journey to. And that's what I felt like he wanted to leave us with is that this is not a final session. It's a continuous invitation, but do not be deceived into trusting the fervency of your following. Lay down, take up the posture of a slave, thrill in sonship, thrill in friendship, thrill in betrothal, but always introduce yourself as Johnny, a slave of Christ Jesus. That's the only way I know how to be delivered into the fullness of the kingdom. And so love you, uh, bless you. I hope that that word, Heaviness is the counterfeit of weightiness. And sometimes when there is a fervency of belief, there can be an opportunity for a sense of heaviness. And so if this comes across as heavy, I apologize before the Lord and ask him if there's any repentance within me because it's not supposed to be heavy, but it is a yoke. (laughs) It is a yoke. It is a yoke. You're the banana in the cup. You're yoked to Christ. You look like you want to say something, Greg. I just want to ask a question,
0: which is awesome. Mm. I want us to ask you questions. Would you say what you have described is the poor in spirit be attitude, which is the first?
1: Yeah. So the word poor literally means blessed are the helpless, the powerless to Mm. accomplish an end. That's what the Greek word literally means. It says, blessed are the powerless, those who are unable to accomplish an end, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How does that work? Why is it not blessed are the strong? Why is it not blessed are the passionate? Why is it not blessed are the fervent? Why does the kingdom not belong to those who pursue with great zeal? No, blessed are the destitute of spirit for theirs is the kingdom. And there's this reality, like we talk about being face-to-face with Jesus. Who's familiar with with the the description of Jesus in Revelation? I think it's Revelation chapter one. Is that a familiar picture? I saw a man like the son of man with hair like lamb's wool and eyes like fire and a sword proceeding from his mouth. And we talk about being face-to-face with Jesus But the reality is that if I want to be face to face with Jesus, there's a sword that proceeds from his mouth and fire that proceeds from his eyes. And to be face to face with him, gazing into him and letting him fully gaze into me, I have to be drawn into the sword and I have to be purified by the fire. And I don't know if you've ever tried to walk into a sword, but it's not that easy. (laughs) The fervent might get some of the way in, but suicide is the counterfeit of surrender. Listen, there's this reality that there's this irony that somebody right now who is genuinely considering suicide because they realize the futility of building their own life, they could be a whole lot closer to the fullness of the kingdom than many church-going, Jesus-professing Christians because they've reached, there's this T-junction, right? And you're walking, life building self, life building self, life building self, And you get to the end of that road and you have no hope to build yourself anymore. And there's only two directions. There's lose your life for Christ's sake and the power of the spirit, or take your life for self's sake and the power of self. And you either go right or you go left. And suicide is the counterfeit of surrender. But that point of absolute weakness, knowing that you cannot build yourself. Blessed are the broken in spirit, for this is the kingdom. That's that point that we have to be brought to, to go, oh, I am helpless and powerless to accomplish the end, but he is not. (laughs) And that's the good news. That is the good news.
0: Would you also consider that the other eight beatitudes are defined by the first one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because the first one is a posture that remains. And it, again, it's, you go, how do I be broken in spirit? Well, all I can really do is fall on the rock, but I don't even really know how to do that. And, and this is what is so amazing about Jesus. He says, come follow me. And following him will lead you to the place where you lose your life for Christ's sake. You don't have to try and do it. You just have to live following Jesus as best as you can. And somewhere along the line, the futility of your following will be revealed to you. You will fall upon the rock. You will be broken upon the rock, shattered into broken pieces, and start to become a possessor of this thing called the kingdom of God.
0: Would you say Peter was a brilliant example of that?
1: Yeah, in all authenticity. Like... I love Peter before the cross because he was honest. I love Peter after the cross because he was honest. I love that Peter before the cross trusted in his own zeal. Then he had this revelation and, there was this realization of life in Christ, and he gets up at Pentecost, and the guy that was scared to be associated with Christ is suddenly telling people, you crucified Jesus, you crucified the king, and the fear is gone. And then I love that several chapters on, the dude refuses to eat with the Gentiles because he's fallen into the fear of man. And it perfectly illustrates the reality of this journey. It, it, it's it. How it happens to you doesn't matter. The order doesn't matter. whether it's a mess of flesh and spirit and sometimes spirit at the head, and then whoops, flesh, flesh kind of tries to come back. but then spirit gets established again. How it happens, it doesn't matter, but that it happens does. Very good. Man. And so Peter is a stunning example of that, where he wasn't trusting in Jesus. He was trusting in Jesus, the, the sovereignty of being a slave to Christ. And then he had a little whoopsie because, hey, uh, we all have little whoopsies along the way. But the goodness of God seized him again. And yea, Jesus, onwards we go.
0: And I love what you said then because you said Jesus led him to that pathway. Jesus Mm. was the one that Mm. gave him the sword. Jesus was the one that took him. Jesus knew what was in him and just took him to that place of what we would consider death, but it's life.
1: Yeah. So people say, Why do you move to South Africa? Because Jesus got up, left New Zealand, and he went to South Africa. So where else are we going to go? Like I will stay here until Jesus leaves. And if Jesus doesn't leave, I will never leave. I've got nowhere else to go. I don't care if the country falls into horrific turmoil, I hope turmoil. I don't I'm not believing for circumstantial blessing. I live attending Jesus. I'm an attendant of Christ. I attend to Christ. And then as the mysteries of God are revealed, I hope that through being a slave to Christ and being submitted to him, I am a good steward of those mysteries that I speak when he is speaking and I remain silent when he is remaining silent. But I'll I'll be here. I'm not here for poverty. I'm not here for taking children out of poverty. I'm not here to transform a nation by the power of God. I'm not here because I think I carry a message that South Africa needs to hear. I'm simply here because Jesus is here for me, and that's all I have. It's awesome, man.
0: It's awesome. Who has a question for Johnny? You have a question.
1: Um, hi, Johnny. Um, hi. I, I. You talked about that we are in. 21st century understands slavery very different to what it was mm. even when uh, Jesus was around do you know a little bit more about
2: what it was like then just for some context because yeah I know for some context the sure um,
1: thing and mm, so I mean slavery historically in flesh is the example of a lacking master creating a reality for a suffering slave And so the only model of slavery we have is the wealthy oppressing the poor, the powerful oppressing the weak, and the slavery that serves self. So we have the example of slaves being put on boats and being taken out to other countries. We have colonisation where people come in and enforce slavery on other people. And, And because of that, when we when we hear this word slave, there's this instinctive recoil because all we've ever seen is slavery that leads to death. And yet, you know, Paul says in, in Romans 6, and I'd encourage you to meditate on this because it's, it's, it's a weird way of putting it. He says in Romans 6, now that you've been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the result eternal life. So the only picture we have of slavery is a powerful human oppressing a weak human for personal gain. And that's the counterfeit of the real. The real is a powerful king overwhelming a weak slave for the sake of the slave. Jesus, I came to serve you. I didn't come to be served. The only model of slavery we have on the earth is the the strong one being served at the expense of the weak one. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, I didn't come for that. I'm a master, but my mastership actually serves you and displays a greater humility than Moses, who was the most humble man on earth at the time. Does, does that help kind of clear that up?
0: Yes. And I love you know, even within the natural how when you look at the scriptures that the slave that is for seven years serving a master actually gets the option if they want to stay as a slave to their master because their master has treated them so well. So they're given their freedom and they have a choice. This is the way to leave or stay. So if their master has been kind, they stay, which is the
1: perfect analogy of what it is
0: to be a slave to Christ, isn't it?
1: It is. It's so stunning because he literally, he has taken me and enslaved me to himself beyond my choice. That's been my experience. He has taken me to places that I did not want to go, but along the way, like he's literally grabbed me and hauled me through things that I would never choose to go through. And yet his faithfulness has been demonstrated in it. So after the seven-year cycle, he comes to me and he says, do you want to stay? And I'm like, do I what? (laughs) Can I? You mean I can?
0: That's right
1: that I can stay as a slave to you, that I'm a a slave in your house. And you look at me and you call me son. And you look at me and you call me friend. And you say, I no longer call you slave, I call you friend, because a master doesn't tell the slaves what he's doing, but a master does tell friends what he's doing. But Johnny, don't ever, ever, ever lose the narrow gate. Hmm. Don't ever lose the posture. Thrill in the fruit of the posture. See, this is where we get it wrong. We think that Jesus modeled a posture of power and authority. He didn't. He modeled a posture of submission and absolute need before the Father. Now, the fruit of that posture was great authority, but the posture itself was great submission. Why? What did the centurion say to him? This great faith. What did this great faith recognize? Not I too am a man of authority, but I too am a man under authority. The centurion recognized that Christ had taken up a posture of slavery to the Father. And so friendship with the Father allowed Jesus to say, if you can take this suffering, but a posture of slavery to the Father said, not my will, but yours be done. And for many of us, we don't know that posture. So. We, we, it hasn't been shared with us. We, we haven't been told that freedom lies in slavery and and so unintentionally, our instinct does not your will, but mine be done, because I'm a friend of God. <laughs> I'm a son with rights. Yeah,
0: it's interesting, you know, when you look at that word "friend," and you do a bit of digging, um, it also means covenantal partner. Mm. And so, a classic, you know, a covenantal partner does what I command. You know, and yeah. Jesus said, "Because I love, I obey." Which is what Dade was yeah. referring to yesterday about, you know, that whole thing about they didn't actually do what he said to do because they didn't love him. And so when you start mm. thinking about that, a friendship, not just a buddy, a covenant partner, mm. that's why mm. you would obey the commandment because you're in covenant with the one that loves mm. you.
1: Other question? He doesn't say, sorry, he doesn't say, you are my friends if you obey what I command you. He says, you are my friends if you obey all that I command you. And that's a bar way too high for my fervency of servanthood. You guys might be a whole lot holier than me, but that is a bar way too high for me if the master is not exerting his power over me to fulfill that work. Hi. Hi.
0: Um,
2: I have a question just around when you were saying before about, um, like with your wife as an example, you know, that you... Don't necessarily love her 100% all of the time, just mm. just as one mm. kind of mm. example of just thinking mm. about being, you know, that like when you're totally in him, he's in you, you know, that everything you're doing is completely led, and then there's those flesh moments. Would mm. you just unpack that a little bit more and kind of what that looks like for you in the catch? Where where, mm-hmm. where he catches that for you, and then what your response mm. is? I'm just interested to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Mm. Hmm. That's a great question. The, the short of it for me would be, um, Bex and I often say to each other, trust the process. We we often experience these moments where Johnny wants to do what Johnny wants to do or the suffering is just really hard. <laughs> you know, like John the Baptist is sitting in prison and he's like, Jesus, like, come save me. Are you the one? And Jesus is like, yeah, goodness is abounding. I'm the one and blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at me. Like, your time's done. Don't take offense. And, and I have these moments where... um, You know, a practical example is um, my my mother is is really struggling. Um, She's been struggling with memory loss and um, I'm on the other side of the world and my father died of cancer when I was little and she doesn't really have anyone around her. And I want to demonstrate the love of Christ in her life. I want to but I'm on the other side of the world. And there's these little fleshly moments that rise up where it's like, Johnny, you should. Johnny, you're responsible for your mum. Johnny, you should do these things. And and that's an example of something that appears to be grounded in goodness. It's it's not a quote unquote sin issue. And yet to go to mum would be to rebel against the presence of where Jesus is for me. And so it is a sin issue, but it's cloaked in light. And so it seems like a good thing. And, and when those moments come, um, we, we have a phrase that we refer to a lot. It's called spin, spin, squash. And one of the things that the Lord has been developing in our lives in a deep measure is that he is the potter and we are the clay. And clay does not shape itself. And too many of us say, God, I'll allow you to be the author of my faith, but I'll demand myself to be the perfecter and so we allow god to establish faith but we want to place our, our our own hands on our lives and shape the the clay wants to shape the clay yeah. and i don't know if you've ever seen a, a potter shape clay but but how do they do it they put it on a wheel and they start to spin and when you're the clay you often have no flipping idea what's going on because you're like Ooh. And these things rise up within you and fear and insecurity and doubt and did God really say and all the things rise up. And, And if you just let him teach you how to not value your own sight as a first priority, but value the hands that you're in, you'll actually chill out and you don't worry about the spinning. But then what happens is if you've ever seen a, a potter work clay, is they they kind of shape it and they build it up, and it starts, and you see these beautiful lines start to form, you like, oh my goodness, it's getting taller and taller. Oh my goodness, they're making a, a vase. This is going to be so beautiful, and you can see it shaping. And then they take their hands off and they go bam, and they squash it all down again to the wheel, and then they start to shape again. And we refer to this phrase often: spin, spin, squash. The reason the potter does that is because the potter has to get all the little air bubbles out of the clay. Otherwise, when the when the clay is put in the fire and it's fired to be eternally that form, it actually cracks because of the air that's in it. And the Lord is literally, whenever we have this moment where we want to turn to sin, we, we have this trust in our potter. And when we do turn to sin, the Lord is like, hey, I, I've paid for that we were taking communion with, with some friends of ours and I was just like, God, your sacrifice. And Jesus said to me, I don't regret it. <laughs> I delight in it. Like I delight in my sacrifice. I don't look back on it with pain and regret. I look back on it with absolute delight because all those little air bubbles have been taken care of. I don't perceive you in that way, but I want you to become what you are reckoned as. So spin, spin, squash. And, and life does that to you. Man, life will do that to you. And you listen for his whisper, that whisper that is so clear when he speaks. And when you don't trust your capacity to hear, but you trust in his capacity to speak, not your capacity to see, but his capacity to reveal, the journey of spin, spin, squash actually becomes a really delightful process because you're in the hands of love. Does that give some context to what you're asking, or did I totally go left field when you were asking for right field?
2: Um, it was awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yay, Jesus!
2: It didn't quite answer what I was asking, <laughs> yeah. but it was. Does really, anybody really else
1: good. have? Does anybody else have a have, have a revealed answer?
2: silence
1: <laughs> perfect
2: it, it, yeah it didn't it didn't answer what I thought I was asking but Ooh. it was it was hugely revealing and I'm gonna definitely meditate a lot on what you just talked about so yeah maybe my question wasn't what I thought my question was
1: yeah Jesus
0: <laughs> anyone on this side of the room so I don't have to bust my neck trying to turn around. <laughs>
2: Hi, um, my question is, I mean, we've been learning a lot around uh, whether we're raised in Christ or raised in Christianity, so hopefully this isn't mm. off topic, but yeah. I don't really know you and Bex um, particularly well, mm. I think I was joining The Rock mm. just pretty much when you were leaving, um, but I'd be keen yeah. to hear a bit of your story around your journey around that, um, clearly you're yeah. raised in Christ now, but has it, you know, did you have a moment, or has it been a bit of a journey? Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, beautiful question. Um, I was, P- Paul says, um, uh, I can't remember if it was the beginning of one or two Corinthians, but one or the other. He Somewhere in the beginning there, he says, um, for you yourselves know how when I was among you, I determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. So Paul comes to the city of Corinth and, and he's led by the Spirit and he's freed by the Spirit to preach the gospel. I can't remember in Acts, but it says the Spirit actually forbid us to preach the gospel in that city. And so again, there's another example of like we would just think that we go everywhere preaching the gospel, like preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. No. The Spirit will forbid you from preaching the gospel at times. And Paul goes into the city and he he's like, hey, when I came to you, you yourselves know how I had determined to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. So Paul is not looking for a building to start a church. Paul is not looking for relationships in the city to start to connect and, and share Jesus. Paul literally is walking into the city, his eyes set only upon Christ and Christ crucified. The word "know" there means to determine to fix your gaze. And I didn't come into an environment of quote unquote church where there was a determined of knowing of Christ and Christ crucified alone. I came into an environment of church where there was a knowing of let's change the city. I came into a church where there was a knowing of ritual and religion. I came into a church where there was a knowing of self striving after the gospel for the reputation of self. I also came into an environment where there was some beautiful knowing of Jesus. And and I'm deeply thankful for that. And I don't look at the environment and condemn it um, because actually the environment simply reflected the reality of my heart. I will inherit the posture of my own heart. I'm not going to condemn others for what they were or were not demonstrating. Um, And so what happened is I came into this reality and and, and I I think that when I look at the church, I kind of feel like what happens is we're, we're in sin And Jesus comes and he says, hey, I've chosen you. I want to be your Lord and I want to be your savior and I want to be your lover and I want to be your friend. And he invites us into this journey, into this reality of what it is to be a citizen of heaven, of what it is to be a possessor of the nature of Christ and the eternal reality. But the journey of that is very similar to the Israelites walking through the desert where, I mean, it's a very common phrase, you know, the, the, the Israelites have been freed from Egypt, but Egypt hasn't fully been taken out of the Israelites, and so we have to walk that journey. And I think what's happened in the history of the church is along the way, someone's got a genuine revelation of, for example, the passionate heart of God that he desires salvation for all people. And so they've, they've been walking, they've been being led by the, the fire and the cloud through the desert, towards this oneness in Christ and towards this communion in an eternal realm. And they've had a revelation of evangelism. But instead of tenting there and then following the cloud and the fire on, they've actually built an empire. They've built a solid structure in that place in the desert. And then it's really, really hard to leave when you've built something permanent because it costs you a lot to build it. And then someone else has had the revelation of the power of signs and wonders and miracles and they build an empire around it in the name of God. And then this cloud and the fire starts to move and people don't want to go because it's like, man, we've we've, we've paid a price to establish this reality, but it's a desert reality, not an eternal kingdom reality. And that was my experience. I walked through all these things, all these different facets of the kingdom, but people had built permanent realities around them And the exhortation was, come and help me build. Now, the goodness of God, I think I shared it this morning, the goodness of God came to me on a beach. And even when I was in an environment that wanted to betroth me fully to Christ, I still had that Egypt in me. And so Jesus came to me on the beach and said, I want to pull you out of absolutely all of it, and I want to take you to the back blocks of Africa where none of that exists, and I want to teach you what it looks like to be the banana in the glass led by my presence. (laughs) I wanna show you that, Johnny. And I didn't, I didn't choose it. This is the irony. If I'd known what it was gonna be, I never would have said yes. He came to me 10 years ago and he said, move to Africa and commit for three years. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> because he knew that three years was like big enough to be, to be an expression of faith, but not so. If he'd come and said like, go and you might never return, I would have been like, eesh, <laughs> that's too much but he's literally walked me through a process, not of crucifying the institution of church around me, but crucifying the desire to be approved of and applauded by men and women within me that has freed me to what it means to be in Christ. And so the raising in Christianity is part of the old, and the old is gone and the new has come. And um, again, I would just so encourage you if you know that you have been raised in Christianity and, 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 and how do you know? Well, it's really easy because Christ, the, the, the institution, the, the counterfeit exhorts your strength and your fervency always. We're building the church. I lead this church. Connect yourself to the vision. Like it always asks for your commitment to a something other than Christ but being raised in Christ asks for your surrender to Christ and Christ alone, asks for your yielding to Christ and Christ alone. Um, And so that's how you know where's your instinct. And it it plays out. Let, Let me give you another example. So worship, right? If you know that you're gifted in ministering to the presence of the Lord in a way that blesses the body, there's two frameworks. One is that you have to create an environment where the spirit can come and do powerful things. And that is raised in Christianity. The other is the heavens and the earth declare the gro- glory of the Lord. Worshipers before the throne. The living beings are worshiping. The elders are casting down their crones, crowns and worshiping. This thing carries on all the time, with or without me. And any time I come into a posture of worship, worship, I'm joining and yielding to what already exists. I'm not trying to create something for the sake of man. And so one says, hey, strive to create this environment. And the other says, no, Christ is at the centre, the environment already is. Learn to yield to the momentum of worship in the heavens and there will be that manifestation within people first and foremost on the earth. So which, is, which do you see? Do you see worship that invites you to participate or do you see worship that asks you to create? Does, does that make sense? Like I'll never forget sitting on an airplane. I've been prophesied. Someone has said to me me in dramatic circumstances, Johnny, you're a mouth. You're the mouth, you're the mouth, you're the mouth, you're the mouth. And I got on an airplane and I said, Lord, teach me how to speak. And he said, no, but I'll teach you how to listen. Because if you've heard, you know what to say. And again, it's like, am I trying to create a reality with my words to try and do something powerful on the earth? Or am I just postured and listening, knowing full well that I'm not the ear And so I need the body. Like some of you, like is Melissa Kenworthy there tonight? Yes, she is. Like, sister, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And anybody else who is the ear that has been listening, thank you. Because if you don't listen as the part of the body, the tongue has nothing to say. And so again, there's this beautiful reality of not raised in Christianity, but raised in Christ. And all humility, like I look at a sister and I go, wow, I consider you as more important than myself. Because if you hadn't been who you are in Christ, I'd be sitting here going, blah, 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 blah. Because I ain't the ear. And yet the Lord wants to teach the tongue to posture itself in listening to partake of the part of the body that is the ear. So there can be a pure demonstration of the tongue. <laughs> Which sounds like gobbledygook, but it actually makes perfect no, sense. So it is.
0: It is. Isn't that funny? Because that's what happens when you actually go on that true journey of hearing. Mm. You're actually trying to get mm. this words out, and you, you're like you're like Moses. Moses couldn't speak because he's been humbled <laughs> yeah. from that ability. You know, the yeah. Bible says in Acts seven, he was a man who could speak, and so yes. God has to get all of that out of him. Hence he has to spend forty yep. years being smashed of all of Egypt out of him. So then when he has an opportunity to speak, yep. he can't. Because he's <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and that's that reality. And then God teaches you how to speak yeah. through hearing. And now you have a language yeah. to articulate the spiritual language because it's not English.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's the beauty of this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Profoundly deep again, Mr. Gilling. But simple and clear. Yay, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. I think we're going to call it there. Yes, Hannah, did you have a question? <laughs> i was scratching my face. Hey, bro, thanks for being part of this again, and um, mm, you, you know we love you, and uh, just thank you for yeah, that deep impartation
1: so very, very deeply. I, I, um, <laughs> I, I just, I want to thank and honour you all because you've never asked anything of us. You've never tried to betroth us to you. And our life is literally upheld by the generosity of God through the body of Christ in so many ways, and we are so often alone in circumstance and yet absolutely surrounded in spirit. And the surrounding of spirit becomes more real to you than the circumstance and starts to define the circumstance. And I, I just, I want to, um, we all have our stuff. None of us are perfect. There is no perfect, pure grouping demonstration of the body of Christ on earth yet. 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 (laughs) And yet, um, who you are before him and therefore who you are to us is of profound substance. And there have been many, many, many moments where... Um, choosing the cross would have just been way too hard if there wasn't someone to come behind and say, I'll pick up that cross and walk with you. And the picture that I get is, you know, when Paul is stoned and he's lying there left for dead and it says the believers came and gathered around him and Paul got up and walked off to the next city. <laughs> and, and, and you guys have been that gathering, not around us, but around Christ but because collectively we're in Christ, it's by extension around us. Um, And it's a reality that, um, you know. like David was saying this morning, it's very unusual to be able, it's it's reasonably common to be able to find that in ones, in individuals, but it's very uncommon to be able to find that as a gathering. And so thank you. Um, How I long to be with you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. What I mean is that I may be encouraged by your faith and that you may be encouraged by mine. Um, because that's who you are to us. You are great, great, great encouragement. And we love you with a love that is not found within, that is not sourced from ourselves. Have a beautiful rest of the evening. Mwah.
0: Thanks, buddy. Say hi to Bex, eh? Will do. So I would encourage every one of us, um, and if you know people that weren't here over the two three days, encourage them. All what has been declared is obviously going to be on the website on the podcast, and I would just encourage you to soak yourself in it, bathe yourself in the Word, and allow it to wash over you and through you. And as you're doing that, however you do that, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to light and to life what you're hearing. Okay? Awesome. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you ordained this. Thank you that COVID couldn't stop it because the big C said it's happening. And I thank you, Father, that life is in you and you alone. So as we leave here tonight, God, I pray for just a great night's sleep, resting in rest and also physical rest, restoring our physical bodies, Lord, and as we enter into this week, we thank you for what we've heard, received, seen. And Father, may we just, as a family, continue to grow in Jesus' name, not only here in Wellington, but in around this nation. Thank you, Lord. Amen.